Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I am BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Matt Peterson. Matt is the Executive Vice President of Universal Health Services. He also serves as President of the company's Behavioral Health Division. Matt joined UHS in September after most recently serving as Chief Operating Officer for Optum Government, a health services and technology company. He also has 30 years of service in the U.S. military, currently serving as a colonel and hospital and healthcare administrator in the Air National Guard. Matt, thank you for taking the time uh, to join us, and welcome to the BHE podcast. Thank you, Tom. All right, so you started with UHS in September. Obviously, it's a huge name in healthcare. What were your expectations coming in? And now that you've gotten settled in here over these first few months, what have been your first impressions? You know, my my expectations early on um, were that I, I knew there was a high level of of care delivery that was going on within uh, UHS. I certainly knew about uh, the facilities and both the medical and behavioral side, um, and my expectation early on was uh, that they were an extremely high-performing organization uh, with great people, and, and candidly, um, I found those both to be very, very true. Um, you know, the first, you know, 90 days or so, I spent a bunch of time getting out and, and seeing the facilities, getting to understand the lay of the land, understanding how the organizations worked. Uh, and given what my expectations were, I'm even more bullish on the future. I think there's just a wonderful opportunity with the organization, with the unique assets they have, uh, as well as with the longevity and great people they have in the background. I think they're they're really poised for some significant growth in the future. Any surprises you've encountered so far? Anything that's uh, kind of uh, uh, not not what you've expected? Either uh, you know, even on the positive side, surprises can be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I went to a facility um, down in uh, Memphis, and I was they were having a an anniversary celebration, and uh, people were talking about how long they had been at the organization, and two of the folks uh, stood up, and not one, but two folks stood up and said they had been there for 49 years, um, and and so for me to see the, the folks and the longevity with this organization, uh, literally a Fortune 500 mom and pop in many regards, uh, with the, the just how people have grown up in their career has been absolutely amazing to me. And I think that's part of the stability of the organization has been the longevity of, of some of the folks that have been around uh, from day one from sort of the humble beginnings, you know, 40 years ago. It, it, that to me has been just truly um, surprising, uh, but in a, a very pleasant surprise. So. Your division has announced a series of deals recently. In September, UHS announced a deal with Valley Children's Healthcare to construct a 128-bed behavioral health facility in California. In October, uh, there's a partnership agreement signed with Honor Health to build a behavioral health facility in Scottsdale, Arizona. In December, uh, there was an announcement that you're working with Beaumont Health to build a mental health hospital in Dearborn, Michigan. Let's talk about this. How do deals like this come together? Is, is UHS looking for organizations to partner with? Or are these companies reaching out to you? Who makes the first move? You know, it's it's both, really. Um, you know, we have a, a strategy of partnering with best-in-breed healthcare systems around the country. 
and uh, we've done it for a number of years, and it really creates uh, some unique synergies. And as we begin to think more broadly about medical behavioral integration, um, it only made sense for us to integrate and, and do these partnerships with some of the best in breed providers. And so oftentimes early on, it might be us having some discussions uh, with providers that we might have already been doing business with and had referral patterns with um, that they just wanted to take the relationship to the next level. Or we may have come to them and said, hey, this is a unique value proposition that we could create within your market. Um, sometimes we're already there uh, in, in a market and sometimes it's an underserved market where they may have um, much more of a, a captive um, or a, a, a very uh, large penetration within a market and it makes sense. So it, it comes around on a, a, number of, uh, a number of ways, but I would say that, but I think our reputation over the last couple of years and what we've done to execute against this, um, you know, continues to accelerate our uh, play in this sort of strategic partnership realm. When you say that you're looking for best in breed, what makes a potential partner fit that bill? Like what, what traits are you looking for? What factors are you considering? Um, what is the, the makeup of an organization that uh, is someone that, that you guys want to go to that next level with? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. We primarily want to look at large coordinated systems, uh, nonprofit systems that are really focused on the entire patient continuum and integrating both medical and behavioral um, as a way to get after uh, patients in a, in a different way. You know, everybody knows that um, if you're going to take care of the physical, you need to take care of the behavioral and, and vice versa. I mean, the numbers, um, you know, show that and demonstrate that that needs to happen. And systems that are committed to doing that at scale is where we're interested you know, where they have demonstrated outcomes, uh, they're a leader within their market, uh, and they're really looking to do things uh, in a more integrated fashion is really what we, we want to, you know, do business with. So if there's someone listening out there who's working in an organization that wants to get into business with UHS, any words of advice that you would have to, uh, to those folks to, you know, position their organizations to, uh, you know, possibly get the wheels turning there? Well, I think for an organization that's really looking to get after, um, you know, a behavioral health joint venture is to look at their market, uh, understand what they're trying to do with their market and what's their strategy around uh, physical and behavioral health. And if they believe that um, there's an opportunity to do things differently, whether it be on the risk continuum or they're, they're looking at the entire, uh, they're looking at the entire, uh, you know, medical behavioral uh, continuum, uh, and want to get after it in a different way, uh, you know, we should have a conversation. I think that we are, you know, we can provide the assets uh, or many of the assets and, and, and thought leadership within the space combined with their uh, unique value proposition they have in the market. And if we can figure out a way to combine those to create something that's better than each of us individually, then we should have a conversation. Do you see any common mistakes or, or familiar pain points uh, for organizations entering into these types of relationships, things that uh, potential pitfalls that uh, listeners should try to avoid? Yeah, I think it's important up front to make sure that everybody understands what it is they're trying to do, um, right? There is no real cookie cutter solution when it comes to this. You know, every um, medical provider, if you look at these integrated delivery systems, has a, a different model that they deal with their patients, um, you know, if healthcare is local and they need to deal with their, their local constituents. 
And and I think so understanding very, very early on what it is they're trying to do, bounced up against what we're capable of and how, what we think is sort of best in breed and making sure that we align around that very early on um, is very important. I think it's also important to make sure that as we work together, we understand each other's cultures because obviously um, if we don't have cultural alignment, uh, we're going to have problems as we integrate these uh, these opportunities. So I think those are the two uh, up front. But once you do the due diligence up front and you spend a lot of time uh, getting to understand what it is you're, you're both trying to do and how you create a unified organization, um, you know, then you're, you're, you're long on a way to uh, successful execution. And one of the, one of the interesting things I, I think you brought up there um, was that, you know, there are different models that can work. There's no one perfect business model that is going to apply for every organization. And there's a lot of factors that can go into it, whether it's the, the market you're serving, the region where you're located, um, Right, am I right on that? There's there's more than one way to do a, the right thing here. Absolutely. I mean, in it all, you know, there are other factors that exist uh, within that market. You know, that could be related to the uh, the legislative environment uh, or the reimbursement models that sit within a in a specific state aligned to what the payers are doing. So there's a number of different factors to get after it. Uh, they could be as simple as you know we've done partnerships where we're doing you know, management oversight within somebody else's facility all the way to building a, a new hospital. Uh, so there are many different ways to look at it, and it all depends on where they are in their journey as well on the, on the risk continuum. You know, as they think about fee-for-value and how they want to integrate behavioral health uh, potentially into that model, it's going to be something different than somebody that continues to be focused on a, on a fee-for-value journey or on a, a fee-for-service journey. So um, you're absolutely right. It, we can look at it in a number of different ways. Um, and that really gets to the initial discussions that we need to have to make sure we're aligned on on what can be uh, as we join together uh, on this uh, medical behavioral journey. All right. I want to shift gears here a little bit. Back uh, when we started this conversation, I had mentioned uh, that you are also active with the Air National Guard and you have a 30 year military career. I'm kind of curious, what impact has that experience had in shaping your civilian career? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, my early on career uh, was in banking and finance. Uh, you know, I came out of Bank of America and, and U.S. Bank, and I had always been a medical administrator uh, on the Air National Guard side. In fact, uh, it was sort of a way to pay for undergrad um, was, you know, to get into the Guard. And uh, lo and behold, uh, through a number of different things that happened within my civilian career in banking and finance, uh, I had... Uh, left U.S. Bank and started a couple of startups that I ended up selling and and ultimately wanted to uh, sort of decide what I wanted to do next and uh, really decided I wanted to get after healthcare. Uh, I felt like uh, that banking and finance uh, uh, play had an opportunity for for me to leverage that a little bit differently in the in the uh, in the in the medical space and really getting focused on you know some of the patient experiences that I had had specifically dealing with wounded warriors I just felt like you know I had a unique uh, value proposition to add and that's how I ended up in uh, you know in the medical space you know it really came down to um, seeing patients um, in a different way in their time of need and being able to do something about it was really what attracted me to the space and uh, that mil the military perspective had allowed me to to uh, be a part of that 
and you remain active now with the uh, with the Air National Guard. Can you kind of uh, explain how you you balance uh, those two roles uh, concurrently? Yeah, you know it's always been a part of my life, right? It's always been nights and weekends and and uh, deployments as needed. I've always been a part of of uh, you know my thirty year career. And, um, you know, a big part of an organization, especially a, a large organization like UHS, is the commitment to wanting to support not only the patients that are, um, you know, veterans and, and certainly active military members, but their employees that are engaged or either have been in a part of the military or continue to serve. And uh, when you find those, those synergies, there's a way to make it work. And it, it takes, you know, all, all parts, right? It takes not only the member, but certainly the organization to support it. The UHS uh, really supports me in that endeavor. Well, that's fantastic. Um, as we start to wind down here, I wanted to uh, kind of shift topics once again. Let's look at the big picture. When it comes to market penetration, UHS is one of the top companies in this industry, if not number one. Um, as a leader in this sector, I'm curious, where do you see this market heading? What are the big trends that we should be keeping an eye on industry-wide in 2020? Yeah, I, I think that in 2020 and beyond, um, because I think it's really um, a three to five year continuum, I think that medical behavioral integration that we talked about is going to become more and more critical. I just feel that if you're going to bend the cost curve and you're going to really take care of patients in the right way, you're going to have to think about it in an end-to-end continual. Now, there's some barriers out there that, you know, behavioral health has had to deal with. You know, meaningful use did not allow for, uh, you know, the technology acquisition that you saw within the med surge space. But I still believe that um, physical and behavioral health integration is going to be the key uh, to bending the cost curve and medical outcomes, uh, medical behavioral outcomes in the long term. I think you're going to begin to see a shift in the payer set um, from this current sort of fee-for-service mi- uh, mindset into some more value-based care. If you look at what's happened in the physical health space and the medical surge space, I think you're going to see um, more models that get after outcomes um, and are on the, the fee-for-value uh, journey, and, and I think that's a good thing. Aligning multiple um, payers is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think behavioral will go through its own journey in the next few years. And I think that the use of, of technology and data will be different over the next few years. We've certainly seen um, the utilization of, of telepsychiatry and, and telemedicine, uh, and certainly that even being allowed or paid for and reimbursed for in the payer space. But I think you'll begin to see that accelerate um, within um, within the behavioral health space. So I'm, I'm really bullish about the future because I feel – that you know UHS is really well aligned in all three areas. Um, on those last couple of points, you, you mentioned uh, outcomes playing such a critical role. Do you have any advice in terms of how organizations should be better documenting th- their outcomes in treatment? And do you see uh, a role for technology in improving those processes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of the big barriers right now, right? As we talked sure. about with the lack of meaningful use uh, in the space. But I think, you know, first and foremost is uh, being very, very focused on outcomes. Um, the use of technology only uh, oftentimes not only increases um, response rates, but 
the accuracy of what you're getting from outcome data. Um, but I think, you know, really making sure that you have um, consistent capture of data, that you do it longitudinally, um, that you're constantly improving within the space and using technology wherever you can, um, and then having it validated by a third party, uh, I think are, are the critical components. And, and once you begin to have that conversation um, and, and begin to align your operations around that, I think there's a, a real opportunity to get after sort of those last three items we talked about uh, in, in a different collaborative models. Outstanding, Matt. We have uh, we've covered a lot of ground here in uh, in a short amount of time, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time. This has been great today. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I and again, I I, I wouldn't uh, I would be remiss if I didn't get back after the last comment I would have, which is um, you know last year early on when we had this conversation, what I was surprised about within this organization, and you know I talked about the employees, their patient centricity here, uh, their outcome data. Uh, been able to you know, 87% plus on patient satisfaction scores um, has been uh, an incredible foundation for me to build on. And I'm really excited to see where this goes over the next couple of years. Outstanding. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thank you. All right. As a reminder, you can listen to the BHE podcast on our website, behavioral.net. And if you have not done so already, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. We'll have a link uh, for you to do that in the show notes for this episode. Um, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Our thanks again to Matt Peterson of UHS for joining us today. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. <laughs>